0: Hello, I'm Ian Wealdon, a Senior Lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Helen Barker, the Director of Collections, Programme and Interpretation at Beamish Open Air Museum. Beamish is a fascinating site, it's a world-famous open-air museum which brings the history of North East England to life through the recreations of different time zones. In our conversation, Helen and I talk about her role in the remaking Beamish project. This is a huge undertaking which involves the construction of a 1950s town and includes either the moving or recreation of quite a few separate buildings, including a cinema, a toy shop, an electrical shop and a hairdresser's, a bowling green and the recreations of two semi-detached council houses and two police houses. I had a great day on site interviewing Helen back in April, after which I had a tour around the new 1950s buildings, which were just being readied for opening to the public. As usual, there are links to the various projects and organisations in the podcast notes and on the WordPress site, so you can follow up on anything you want to know more about there. Thanks again to Helen, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, thanks for joining me today. If you could just start off by telling me a little bit about who you are and what your role is.
1: Uh, so my name is Helen Barker and I work at Beamish Museum and I am a Director of Collections, Programmes and Interpretation.
0: So what does that mean? What does that job look and feel like? Mm-hmm.
1: Currently, uh, I look after the Remaking Beamish project, which is a big capital development program here at the museum. So we're making a 1950s town and uh, developing the Georgian area on site. So I am, well, I'm referred to as the client lead, basically. Sounds very grand. I'm not entirely sure what it means, to be honest. (laughs) It means that if there's any ultimate decisions to be made, I make those decisions, basically. But I work with a big team of people, so Uh, There are design officers who do the research into what the buildings look like in terms of uh, fixtures, fittings, paint colours, floor coverings. Uh, I work with the collections team who obviously then work on what is going in. And I also obviously the activity plan as well, so all the learning and community engagement work that goes alongside the project as well. So it's it's basically oversight of the whole project, but I work alongside a project manager who kind of manages the nitty-gritty of the contract and things like that.
0: So how long has that project been going on for?
1: It's been ongoing now. I think we got permission to start in 2016. So the National Lottery Heritage Fund is the major funder, but there are other trusts and foundations who've also inputted into it. Um, So we started kind of on the ground in 2016, but there'd been a kind of significant planning period before that as well, um, where we, did a lot of outreach work actually um, around the region to try and engage people because what we wanted to do through the project was to build relationships with audiences across the region uh, and try and kind of represent more stories within the museum. So we were quite clear that we wanted to try and represent every area of the region with at least one building and particularly uh, areas where we knew that we didn't get either lots of visitors from or where we hadn't done a lot of work in terms of learning and outreach activity previously so kind of teesside was a key area for us so uh, we've actually got three buildings within the project which come from teesside so there's a bowling pavilion from billingham it's a hairdresser that's come from middlesbrough and there'll be a toy shop which is inspired by quite a big toy shop in middlesbrough as well but other areas also represented so you've got sunderland durham and one thing another so a lot of that work went on before we obviously started in 2016. Um, And then yes, it's been ongoing, obviously interrupted by the pandemic, uh, caused a bit of a delay. Um, But I think as well, it's been interesting in terms of how the projects developed since we started, I suppose, maybe quite uniquely, we wanted to run the project ourselves, so the management and also the kind of delivery of the construction. Um, so we did we've got some very clever people who work here, skilled masons and joiners, and that's how we embarked upon the project. Um, and that's how some of the buildings have been delivered, um, but the, how we've done it has evolved uh, since then. Uh, and I suppose it's a project in two phases, if you like. So um, well during the pandemic we did a review of the project and how it was running and how it was managed. And we brought in an external project management company to help us to deliver it. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that our understanding of the construction industry as a museum is limited. Uh, and I think that's probably part the part of the puzzle that we were missing actually, that expertise. Uh, so we brought that in and the project management company um, have worked really well with us. And we were, I think we were very careful about who we chose to make sure that they would fit with the team that had already delivered some of the project to make sure that kind of they weren't coming in and kind of I don't, chucking it all out the window that yeah. there was an evolution rather than a kind of complete yeah. change.
0: So with the buildings, how do you identify buildings and how do they present themselves or is that a complicated process?
1: I wasn't involved with, at that point in the project yeah. um, but there was a kind of an away day that took place with some members of staff uh, who I think um, kind of had a chat about significant stories and kind of how they might be represented. Um, And so I think it was fairly clear that we wanted to Create an entire time period within the museum. Frank Atkinson is the founder of Beamish Museum, and and one of his mantras, I suppose, in the beginning was that part of the museum would always be within living memory. So when we opened in kind of 1971, the Edwardian period was within living memory for some people, um, but obviously we've moved much further on now. So the time period that was picked was the 1950s. And that it was felt there was still a kind of significant regionality that existed then, whereas the kind of more modern you get, that kind of disappears and you get a more national identity. So 50s was picked, obviously, post-World War II. You've got significant stories around um, the welfare state, development of social housing. So that period was picked. Uh, Then some buildings were offered to us. So the cinema from Ryup. Uh, had been offered to us and we accepted that. Uh, we were offered some uh, airy houses from Kibblesworth and Gateshead, so we accepted them as well. So it's a kind of mixture of kind of things that have offered that then shape what you're gonna build uh, mixed with kind of what buildings are best gonna help us tell the story I think 50s was challenging in a way because lots of buildings still exist and are being used so if we hadn't been offered them a lot of the buildings are recreations of buildings which are still in existence and it was quite difficult at one point we did a uh, we wanted to put an open call out for people to suggest a building that would feature in the townscape so we put a call out for people to suggest social ho- or council houses that had been built in the 1950s that they'd either lived in or remembered fondly or whatever and we went on a kind of mission around the region to kind of promote this so that we got the best response we could but it was I think people thought we were going to come and knock their houses down oh
0: right well I guess it's not a logical <laughs> fear, I guess, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, Will you give your house to Beamish yeah. move out? <laughs> kind of.
1: Yeah, we didn't, we just wanted to copy it. So we got a good response in the end, actually. So that's why the semis that we've got are from the Red House estate in Sunderland, uh, because they were nominated by the family who lived in them. Right. And then we put it to a public vote. So we had a shortlist of eight, I think it was, uh, and asked the public to vote for which houses they wanted to see here at Beamish. And it was the ones in Red House that won. So that I think probably because they had a really lovely story that went with them of these right sunshine houses that have been such a happy place to live. So
0: So the, the houses in uh, are the buildings that are part of this project recreations or are any of them buildings that have been taken down and relocated? So the
1: only ones that have been taken down are the cinema from right up the grand, so we will incorporate as many elements of the original as we can, um, but for construction purposes it won't all be going back up where we've numbered the bricks as we have done with previous buildings, it'll be elements of the original in there. Uh, Spainsfield Farm, which is part of the project, which is an upland farm from Weirdale, that has been taken down stone by stone, recorded and moved here and put back up again, which is incredible. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it is really. and. Yeah, the airy houses on Kibblesworth have been donated, but they're a particular method of construction, prefabrication, and I think that's going to be difficult for us to reuse again for construction reasons. So it may be that we have to recreate some of those.
0: Is there such a thing as an average day for you, or is it just project by project, or is, is every day different? What, what does it feel like to, to do your job? It
1: feels like every day is different, and I think that's what's exciting about it, particularly at the minute. And I keep saying to one of our colleagues that once when this, when this project is over, we're going to be like, well, what have we got to do today? Uh, because there's always a question to be asked and something. to yeah. So this morning it was, uh, are the paths seven foot wide or six foot wide? So uh, it's quite buzzy, really, and I quite like that. So it, that's quite motivating. And I would say, yeah, no two days are the same, which... I enjoy uh, particularly.
0: It sounds like some days you might be working with contractors, other day, other days you might be working with collections to sort out what the interiors might be like. Doing education, learning stuff with audiences. That's that's a really wide remit. Yeah,
1: it's that? massive. Yeah, it's massive, uh, and I think probably I'm just lucky that I I get to kind of the oversight of it, whereas other people are doing the kind of on-the-ground delivery of it. Yeah. Uh, And I probably am just the annoying person who comes in and asks questions, (laughs) and they're like, why are you asking us this? Uh, I think that's my role there, yeah.
0: Is this the kind of work that you thought that you'd want to do when you first started thinking about careers?
1: I don't even think I knew this existed, to be fair. I think I loved history at school, I think, and I think I loved that because it was story based and that's what I enjoyed. Uh, And then I visited Beamish actually and loved it. I loved the way that they told stories and that you could, I don't know, I suppose I wanted to live here I think was... (laughs) Motivated. Particular time
0: period, Uh, just all of it. Just rotate. rotate I
1: I remember really vividly having a conversation with a man who worked at the farm who actually was really grumpy. Uh, So I don't know why that I thought this was a great place, but. (laughs) I don't know why, I think I just walked around and thought, wow, I love it. Uh, because i would never been on a school trip here. Uh, so it wasn't until I was kind of just before I started my MA that uh, I actually came on a visit. And I'm not even sure if I'd thought about museums as a career before then. I think I just knew I loved history. And I don't, I can't even remember what that original motivation was. I think it just seemed like a way to use that kind of love of history in a quite a practical way that wasn't being a teacher. I yeah. think. Um, but I wouldn't have said that I had any particular goal for then what I would do when I worked in a museum if I ever got a job, so...
0: When you were doing history, I mean, we, I'm assuming that you were good at history. Was it the thing that you were good you know at? No, no. know, what
1: I always laugh about is it was my worst GCSE result. <laughs> <laughs> That's what always makes me laugh. Uh, so I, I don't think I was particularly good at history, but I loved it. That's
0: really interesting. Yeah,
1: uh, and then I went on to do A-level, and I would say... I don't know I think I've
0: got better at it. <laughs> so what, what did you take at A-level? History,
1: the, biology and politics.
0: All right that's quite a funny combo. Uh, yeah, so yeah there's a science in there.
1: Yeah,
0: Because yeah. normally yeah. a lot of people I interview they're all kind of humanities clustered subjects yeah. like history, English and you know whatever else yeah, but yeah. the biology in there. Yeah. So we kind of keeping options open a little bit? Do you or?
1: know I think I just picked subjects that I like. Right. Gonna, this makes me sound terrible. I did take English and I loved English and I think but I didn't like my class. Right. Oh. And I think had I stuck with English I probably would have pursued English rather than history.
0: Well that stuff is really important. The mm-hmm. dynamics of how it's not just the subject, is it? It's the dynamics yeah, of the, the people, environment that you yeah. that you're in. And yeah. sometimes you don't click with a yeah, no. particular <laughs> class or
1: It's a shame, really, because I absolutely loved history, uh, English, sorry, and so it seems a bit, I don't know, petty now to have not pursued it, but I just, I don't know, I found it quite difficult in the class I was in, so I swapped to politics instead.
0: Right, so that would have been history, English and biology to start with, and then you changed changed to politics. Yeah. While you were doing A-Levels, were you just enjoying the subjects? Yes, the, sorry, that was like the like question.
1: A... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just picked subjects that I liked. That's, yeah. that's what my guiding principle was.
0: And and did you know that you were going to go to university? So was that like a path that was already there yeah, for you? Yeah,
1: I think there was very little thought about what. Right. doing anything else. It, it was sheep mentality, really. Everyone goes, so I went as well. Right. That's yeah. that,
0: you know... Do you know levels was the logical progression? Yes,
1: to go to university. Yeah. So I did history at Liverpool, yeah.
0: Quite often, I think, for people, that feels like it defers that decision about what you might yeah, want to
1: do. Yeah, I think it's quite useful in a way um, because I think when... I don't know, there's a lot of emphasis, isn't there, when you do your GCSEs to kind of knuckle down and get good grades and all the rest of it. And not to put anyone off kind of studying and passing their exams, but the further away you get from it, the less important it becomes in a way. And I think yeah. really, if you get maths and English, probably you can, you're can, you going to be all right, I think. Yeah. Um, and I would say as well that going to university that first time round, when I look back on now, that kind of access to the amazing people who taught me, I really didn't make the most of it. I was kind of 18, I was having an amazing time, like, oh dear. When I think back of how little attention I paid, it's just cringe <laughs> I think really.
0: no. I think that's really common. Uh but you think you go you I think there's a big bit of it thinking about it and you go, if I could do that three years again, this is what I would do with uh, all of that time. Yeah. Whereas if you were 18 you'd do it exactly the same. Yeah, way.
1: probably. I think but I think what highlighted it to me is not sure I was classed as a mature student when I did my MA but it was a very conscious decision to do that course and pay for it because it was a stepping stone to something and I paid a lot more attention I would say very unconsciously uh, that I felt I really hadn't for my first degree I just kind of I don't know.
0: So when you where did you go for your first degree? Liverpool. Liverpool okay and when that came to an end what what did you do immediately after that? Uh,
1: so I went to Spain uh, to teach English as a foreign language. So right, I did that okay. for three years right. uh, after, after my degree.
0: Were you thinking, this is something that I could do permanently, or was it always a temporary no, thing? No, it
1: was only going to be one year, but we had a good time, so we stayed for three.
0: <laughs> In the sun. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it was great. I loved it as well. And again, that gives you a bit of perspective on life as well, and yeah. kind of a bit of time to grow and develop and whatnot. So yeah.
0: So what age were you teaching?
1: Uh, it was adults mostly, some children, but right. also adults, yeah. Right. And I worked. I used to come back because there were quite long summer holidays as well and come back and I worked at Durham University in the language school. Uh, I did a bit of teaching English there, but also looking after the um, overseas students. So right. okay. we would go on different trips with them around the country and show them interesting things and make sure they were happy in their kind of new life here. Um, and one of the visits was to Beamish, which is right. when I okay. first came.
0: So was that that quite pivotal for you then in helping you to decide that you wanted to make a change from that teaching?
1: Yeah I think I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher that was and I think where that was useful for me was uh, learning to build relationships quite quickly with people from different backgrounds that's really where and also the job at the uh, the language school as well because you had to make people feel comfortable and welcome and uh, engage them in different activities uh, and I think that was the biggest learning that I took from all of that that has helped me in my yeah kind of career in museums because my first job at Beamish well I got a job as an engager first off Uh, so working in costume in the buildings to kind of talk to visitors and I did that for two seasons whilst before my MA and and whilst I was doing it right Uh, and I think I was in the right place at the right time when a job was advertised here which was as collections access assistant Uh, So uh, it was a project, a partnership project with Tiny Weir Museums to enable access to the stored collections. So kind of building up community engagement, basically, with the collections in some way. And I think it was those skills of kind of relationship building and developing activities of people that I'd learnt through the kind of teaching English that really stood me in good stead there, I would say.
0: So you, you said that you did that first job between the teaching and starting your MA. Was that seasonal work?
1: Yes, it was. So,
0: kind of coming in. What What was that like? What kind of thing were you doing there? What?
1: So it's it's front of house basically. So you dress up in a costume and you are based in the exhibits and you talk to people coming in and you do the engagement activities, so baking bread or whatever. Uh, yeah, I loved it.
0: So, which were you all over site or did you no, have a particular... No, I was in
1: rural life. Right, okay. <laughs> so, I was based up at Pockley in the Georgian area and at home farm as well, and you kind of swap between the two areas. Um,
0: so, you're baking bread most days? Yeah, and...
1: baking biscuits as well. Yeah, loads of stuff, burning them more often than not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, is that kind of engaging with people when they come in, talking about what life would have been like? That's the one. And then, so how do you balance that between, I suppose, kind of contemporary? conversations and then you baking bread how does that work
1: well what we use something called which is third person engagement right. so again that's a phrase that is meaningless to most people engagement is a term that's meaningless to most people as well so we don't pretend to be from the past yep. we are modern people wearing funny clothes talking to visitors basically to help them understand the environment they're in, how people might have lived and so people can ask you questions about today if they want to and that's okay if they're reasonable yeah. enough you can answer them kind of as, as yourself uh, and I think that's kind of one of the strengths of what we do is that a lot of visitors come because they enjoy that interaction with the people who work here and I think in some ways it, it is more natural because you're not pretending to be somebody from the past. Yeah. Um, so
0: yeah. You're in costume, aren't you, yep. for those? Yeah, so yeah. when we've been sat in this room, there's been kind of rails yes. and stuff going backwards and forwards. <laughs> yeah. So how does does that work? Do you get measured up for you costumes? You do, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and compl- you have your own costumes? You do, of- yeah.
1: It's, it is exciting. Uh, <laughs> and I always have costume envy. I always think someone's got a better costume than I have. <laughs>
0: they think is I'm there a-, a politic around costumes? <laughs> <No. for people? laughs> no.
1: They think I'm a pest because I'm always kind of lurking about the corridor, looking through the rails to see <laughs> who's got one. Uh, and then going in and saying, oh, can I have one? Uh so yes, you you come for induction, you have an interview, you come for an induction which is a few days where you meet the team in the area um, and you get measured up for your costume um, yeah, and everyone then gets their own costume to wear
0: so. Wow and then do you take that home I'm asking some really te- like no, no, sorry, basic yeah, interesting yeah. questions because yeah. I've always wanted to know some of this stuff so do you take your costume home and wash it or does it get all kind of cleaned and stuff here on um, site or? A lot of
1: people take their own costume home to wash yeah. uh, some people it is washed here so if you work in one of the food outlets for example you might get it washed here yeah. uh, and then returned to you right. um, but yeah a lot of people take it home and wash it and look
0: after it Wow mm-hmm. So you come on site Site, you get changed here, and yep. you go off out. And
1: yeah, you can get changed here. Some people come, come in their on costume, um, but on yeah,
0: the bus the, in yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've been to loads of random places in my costume because after a while, I was just like not bothered anymore. <laughs> uh, uh yeah uh yeah people get changed there's changing rooms mess rooms and whatnot in each of the areas um and I would say there's a great camaraderie within each team and it's interesting that on each area, each area so there's pocale uh there's uh the town there's the pit village uh, and each team has quite a different character i would say so right. yeah, yeah and the
0: costume play, obviously plays into that kind yeah it of does dynamics. yeah it does yeah. yeah. So you did this for a couple of seasons did did you say? So was that one before you did your MA and then one whilst you were doing the MA? Yep. How did you come across the programme? Was this, you starting to think about museums and thinking this is something that I want to do?
1: Yeah, um, I can't quite remember. I must have, I must have Googled it.
0: We we've seen jobs that were requiring because there was a period yes, there where there was where it was a, a firm requirement for a yes, lot of jobs at that point. Yes,
1: there was. You're right, actually, and that might have been a bit of a prompt, actually, Um and then just looking around to see which courses were about and and finding the one at Newcastle. Yeah, I think. yeah.
0: Okay, so you started that and juggled seasonal work with yep. with that. How did that? How
1: did that work? Uh, fine, actually, because I think uh, the season kind of starts in April, around Easter time. So by that point, I'm not sure Ooh. we had lectures anymore.
0: Um, yeah, onto, I think, placement by the yeah. uh, when you were doing it by that point.
1: But I do have a very vivid memory of being in the kitchen at home farm with a piece of paper in my pocket when I was trying to write my dissertation. <laughs> 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 so on a quiet day, I was sitting at the table kind of scribbling notes down, I think. So I do remember that, but I don't remember, apart from... Oh, and I also remember the day that I had to hand it in. I was at work, so my dad and my sister went and hand, had to get oh, it right, bound okay. and then uh, had to hand it in for me. It's all digital now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't have been a it from your mobile phone. Uh, uh, oh my In goodness, was, form. I uh, know, so,
1: yeah. But, so I don't remember it being particularly bad in any way. I think I had very... I was in a good team with people who kind of understood and were kind of uh, helpful to me and kind of how the shifts were managed and one thing and another.
0: So were you looking out for new things specifically here at that point?
1: No, not at all. I mean, I'd done my placement at Bose uh, and I would say that was amazing and that was such a helpful thing for me because Bose is... Uh, not in the things it does, but in the way that they look after their collections, very kind of traditional and kind of very careful about how they manage their collections. And I think I was lucky when I was there that they were replacing the roof or something in one of the galleries. So there was loads of stuff to do, particularly kind of conservation-wise. So we were making, um, I don't know, moving pictures and kind of wrapping books to go in the freezer. Uh, And they had a a conservator there and obviously great curators as well. So uh, I think... I couldn't have had a better placement, to be honest, um, because it gave me a knowledge and understanding of a certain kind of way of doing things um, that uh, we do to some extent here, but not exactly in the same way. And the job that I also came into was about um, uh, looking after... a it was called heritage cubes which was providing museum standard storage for community heritage organizations who had a collection that they wanted to care for it was probably in people's sheds or garages or attics and they could bring it together in one place and part of that was providing collections care advice to them so how you would wrap something to put it in the freezer to prevent pests and one thing so what I'd learned on my placement at Bose was kind of so handy when I came yeah. here and got that job. So it was, I suppose, serendipity, really, that I had that kind of blend of skills that was required within that job, I think.
0: Were you gravitating towards collections as, as something that you thought that you would want to do at uh, that
1: point? To be totally honest, I think I just went for whatever job I thought I, I might be able to for. get. Yeah, and that was a kind of... I. I Done the seasons kind of on site which I suppose was kind of getting a foot in the door and then this seemed like the next step on being yeah. this collections access assistant. I wouldn't have said I was particularly drawn to collections. I don't think I understood them. But I, I also have a memory of someone asking me in, in, in an interview where I saw myself go in and said collections management which now I think, dear God, <laughs> like what was I talking about? I think I didn't know what I was saying I, so I just said anything really then but that is not, not my skill set really or
0: do you way. think some of that is around knowledge and vocabulary yeah, of those 100%. job trees that yeah, exist? It feels almost, you know, even for somebody that's worked in this sector for decades, it's I think it's really difficult to visualise, even, you know, we've come to Beamish for 15 years or so with the students, but even then, all of the intricacies of how this is set up as an organisation varies from another organisation and even other open air museums i guess it, it, so it's really difficult yeah
1: it is i agree 100% i think i just didn't know the breadth of jobs that were there or how to articulate them so i i, I didn't know i didn't know and Collectors management was on that i did know so i said it
0: good good buzzwords that sound <laughs> yeah like, exactly like yeah what exactly. they wanted to hear perhaps, yeah or?
1: yeah i mean i don't know yeah, there's an assumption within the question, isn't there, that you know what you're, gonna, you're yeah, talking about yeah. when you're quite young and yeah. new to the job. Plus,
0: the sector changes, and I think those job titles and the job trees have changed yeah. as well, where things have overlapped and then been kind of brought together with different management structures that set over to ensure that they're functioning yeah cohesively.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think budgets obviously play a part as well. So I think, I don't know, sometimes it's quite appealing to have a job where you can do lots of different things because that keeps it interesting, Yeah. but also I think, I sometimes say, I know very little about absolutely loads of stuff, <laughs> whereas <laughs> I think... I'm sure
0: that's not true. No, it is.
1: <laughs> I, I think in museums the aim is to know absolutely loads about quite a narrow section yeah. of stuff, but it's... Um,
0: I I think it depends doesn't it? I think if you're working in certain types of collections that's definitely the case but if you move into some kind of management then it is very much about Mm. being able to understand how all of these different moving parts and and how you can spin all of these plates.
1: Yeah I I would say that I think that that is something that I do have now is how the bits fit together and where they need to work together to make something happen well. Yeah.
0: while you were doing the, the the front of house stuff, were you getting an idea, did you understand how the organisation worked or was that something, because you're out on site all mm. of the time and it's physically probably away from some of the man- managerial buildings, how, how does that work?
1: Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I understood the interpretation team, so that was my role, my team leader's role, and then... Probably the role above that, which was kind of managing the team. Yeah. Uh, and th- to be honest, I didn't need to know any more than that. or oh, I didn't feel like I needed to know. It didn't help me do my job any better. Yeah. It didn't help me re- respond to visitors any better. So it didn't bother me. Uh, and I think I was in a lovely team. I had a really nice time.
0: <laughs> so you started doing the next role. What, what does that? What did, was that like on a on on a day to day basis? What kind of work were you doing there?
1: Um. So understanding what was in the stores so that we did a lot of store tours for people and we developed specific store tours for children. So we did a museum safari. So it was just thinking of ways into the collection. So part of it was getting people into the store, uh, which uh, so this was like 2006. I don't know, it's quite new. It's not now, Um, but kind of at the time was quite a good, exciting thing to be involved in. Um, so it's getting people into the store but also getting objects out of the store and into communities for use and for research and for whatever else so we facilitated loads of research visits um, there's a collection study room which was for that purpose so we built links with the quilters guild for example lots of groups who might be interested in the collections and want to use them in some way um, we made loads of handling boxes that we could take out for people as well so we did loads of outreach visits we started to go into lots of care homes uh, and I would say they were the kind of building blocks we Got a great health and wellbeing program now, uh, which is not now about going into care homes, but it's about how do we use the buildings on site as a resource for structured, kind of uh, meaningful activity for older adults and adults living with dementia. Uh, and that is a big strand of the work that we do now, but it had its roots in this project taking out handling boxes to care homes. Yeah. So um, we did it was really the limit of it was just the limit of our imagination with what we wanted to do and I would say at the time Beamish didn't have an outreach program a community outreach program it had a learning team uh who then sometimes went out obviously went to schools but didn't do much else so I think that again was the foundation stone for the development of what is now a well established community engagement yeah. program as well we've kind of change the scope of what that looks like and how we might work. But really it was based in this idea that these collections are here for everybody. How do we make them as accessible as possible?
0: Sounds like you had quite a lot of freedom there to design. Yes. And were you just finding your way with that? potentially, I guess, looking at other examples yes. and kind of trying to see how that would fit into the ethos of the site.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's it entirely. And I think we were lucky. It was a partnership project with Tiny Way Museums uh, and they had a great outreach team, or they still do. Um, and I would say that was a massive benefit because I learned loads from them. So we delivered some things with their outreach team as well. And that was just a great way to learn um, from them. I think Renaissance in the regions, which is a big government funded scheme, uh, was active then. There were loads of training opportunities and chances to meet other people working in the region. And that was great to build relationships, which made things work much better. And I learned a lot
0: so, so what what did those training opportunities look like? Were they just were they formal or kind of informal um, network kind of things? Or think, a, bit of a lot of
1: them were formal, <laughs> um, so training days that you would sign up to and go along on various topics. Um, but some of them, it was just kind of working alongside uh, the outreach team, particularly. Yeah. Um, who was, I'll say this because he was great, Carl Greenwood, I don't know yeah, yeah. He, So Carl Greenwood, I always remember working with him and I just was a bit in awe of him, I think. I just thought he was great <laughs> in what he did and he always seemed dead kind of reasonable and sensible in what he would say. And uh, I always remember me and one other colleague, if we ever had a quandary about anything, we would go, what would Carl Greenwood do? <laughs> Um, did
0: you ever go back and ask what Carl would do? No, or did you I don't just
1: hypothesise
0: what he would say and go, <laughs> I think that Carl would say that. <laughs> Let's go with that.
1: Oh <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. I always well, even now I think about Carl Greenwood, isn't that weird? I haven't seen him for ages. Yeah. But uh about oral histories and when you record oral histories with somebody because we were put doing an exhibition and using excerpts from oral histories as the text. Um and I kind of had used words verbatim, which kind of made sense but weren't quite right and he corrected them and I said oh yeah but that's not what they said and he said yeah but that's how they would want to be yeah, portrayed yeah. not kind of oh, no, that made a lot of sense to me yeah. as well Was
0: so. that a fixed term contract that you were on? It
1: was I think Remembering, yes, it was funded by the lottery, I think, and some other people. I think most of my career has been funded by the lottery, so <laughs> keep buying
0: your tickets. And those jobs tend to be fixed term for yeah, the life. The, yeah, the they do. And I
1: remember having this conversation budget. with one of our directors, it p- passed, um, about why, if this was an important strand of the museum's work, why was it not funded, core funded by the museum? Yeah. And the response was that this type of work is more easily fundable than some other types of museum work and that makes a lot of sense to me. I think… Because
0: of the engagement element.
1: Yeah, because a lot of funders want to fund that people-focused work, whereas uh, building a shed to put the tools in is not something that most people really want to fund, there's no kind of… It's
0: an interesting tension that, isn't it? sometimes makes staff who are on those temporary contracts yes. feel like that work may, maybe isn't quite as important even if you know for that reason it might be easier to fund yes it's quite a difficult dynamic to yeah. manage isn't it, it
1: yeah I agree entirely and I think I I'm a particular type of person and I've been quite relaxed about it and felt that as long as my wage was paid at the end of the month well then that's great yeah. but yes it is a cause of anxiety for some people and I would also say it's a risk to the organisation because if because you can lose yeah. skills and expertise, and particularly in community work, relationships that have been built up over years, if someone is worried that their contract is going to stop at a certain point, so, although,
0: yeah. Well, that's it. If, if it's a two-year project, then normally after, I don't know, 14, 15 months that, people start thinking, I need to line yeah. something up, yeah. and even if that gets extended, they may have yeah. either left or have committed to another yeah. role. So, uh, it's a real problem that it knowledge is. retention isn't it? It
1: is a huge problem in terms of knowledge retention and I think also in recruitment I think we've seen recently in trying to recruit for maternity cover um, that you don't get the applications that you need uh, to recruit great members of staff yeah. uh, on shorter term contracts. Yeah
0: yeah what happened when you when that came to an end or, or did it get extended? And... Uh,
1: well, again, I was in the right place at the right time and obviously I'd done an amazing job. So there was a...
0: I was going to say, <laughs> loads, loads of people say I'm in, I was in the right place at the right time. But if you've been working in an organisation for a few years and then you get another job, that's an indication that you've done pretty well.
1: Well, I, I think I was lucky because when I started... Um, There was an opportunity to build something from nothing. There'd been kind of small forays into engagement, but nothing really. So I was able to come in and kind of make an impact, I think, and do some interesting things. Uh, And it showed progress and a possibility of something. And we had great links with our learning team here and developed a way of working that was really successful in terms of engaging communities and schools in a locality with a particular topic and and then bring it back onto site um, to tell a particular story for visitors so yeah. we, we developed a really great way of working so when I was collections access assistant uh, somebody left uh, which was the kind of management role I suppose within that team which was collections access officer uh, and I applied for that and got that so that was gave me a bit more I suppose clout over what it was that we were doing which was great so we did more of the same and I think based on the success of kind of that project we applied for more lottery funding uh, to deliver it was called celebrating community heritage which was a totally uh, community engagement focused project.
0: The skill set sounds like it's slightly starting to change there were you Mm. moving further away from the delivery bit into strategic work at that point?
1: No. <laughs> well, maybe I was, but maybe I didn't recognise it as being that. I okay. think, uh, because I don't think we had, we didn't have a specific community engagement strategy. It was all very organic, I would say. And right. and there was a lot of um, freedom in that, like you said. We, because there was no set pattern of, of how we'd worked previously, because this work wasn't done, we could literally do anything we liked. Yeah. Um, and I think we did, We worked to a ridiculous extent, um, and I think some things worked and some things didn't, but the things that worked, we stuck with, and the things that didn't, we just... Let them fade away. Um, And it was like a snowball effect, really, kind of building this kind of from handling boxes and going out and doing talks to kind of longer projects that were a bit more sustainable. We built really great links with so many community heritage organizations that it kind of drove us forward, I think. And then once we found this successful pattern of working with the learning team, and it was again that was exciting because we felt like we we'd created something with community yeah. members in a in a place and then i think bringing it back onto site and then seeing how visitors got involved with it as well it was a real i don't know it was exciting i think and to see the culmination of kind of months and months of work here and I mean, things that we started, like uh, there's a big concert heritage initiative now um, that I like to think we played a role in that uh, because we went there to do a project around the closure of the Concert Steelworks um, and got lots of local people involved who then were so interested that they maintained that group. So Um, you're
0: helping them to develop skills by which they can then manage those Groups or societies that's
1: themselves. It. Yeah, similar thing happened in the Fellin as well. around the Fellin Pit disaster, there was because what we would always aim to do was to provide as many opportunities within a community for people to get involved in yeah. something. So we wanted to do lots of open call events. So we would go to public spaces um, where loads of people were just passing through to to kind of offer an opportunity for people to get involved in something. And that's often how those groups came together. I think um, probably. At the time, we were probably quite naive, I think, um, and thinking about the legacy of those groups and how th- we would sustain them or what responsibility we had yeah. to them once they were established. I don't think we worried about that before we did it. I think we just did it. And then kind of a bit further down the line, I think just because of the team that we had, uh, continued those relationships because we recognised that we had a role to play there and that we couldn't just go, see you later, everybody. Yeah. Um, but that then meant that kind of on moving to the next thing you were again it was that snowball effect. you're building up a workload because you were maintaining relationships over here but also trying to start new ones here yeah. so that, beca- that, is a, that became a lot of work I would say. Well,
0: legacy is really difficult isn't it with those because sometimes it's hard to get people involved if there isn't a perceived product as yeah. such yeah. but then quite often if there is a product at the end of it it means that there's a finite end to yeah. it and legacy then becomes a problem. Yeah. And that's, that's really tricky yeah. to manage. But you mentioned that you were putting funding bids in as well at that point. I think you mentioned lottery funding. This is
1: all lottery funded, and yeah. Did
0: you Were you applying for continuation funding or was that just ongoing?
1: No, I mean, that funding, I'm trying to think how long that project was. It was probably about four years, I think, that project in all. Right. Um, and kind of towards the end of that project, I'm just trying to think, is probably when the thinking around what has become Remaking Beamish started. So the last few projects we did as part of Celebrating Community Heritage were around the 1950s. So we did a big project around Category D villages. Right. Um, and we also did some work in Teesside in Billingham, which has led to this relationship with the Bowling Pavilion. Um, so it kind of then continued and i'm just trying to think we had some funding from esme fairburn as well which i think bridged the gap a little bit and then i think there was thinking back there was probably a period where the museum did fund the posts until the lottery then came back in with the funding with which has become remaking beamish yeah
0: See, that's really that is really interesting because you've got that outreach work that has then created those links that is then informing the future direction of the physical element of the museum, the 1950s yeah. area, so it starts to come all. Yeah, it's, it's messy but kind of really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, thinking back now, um, because community engagement is now one of our three guiding principles, and I think it's just the build-up of how successful and kind of good that work was. I think yeah. that it became like an, an important part of what the museum is and does. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I think uh, the museum is built on uh, engagement with people in the, in the region and a bit wider. The majority of our collections have been donated by local people, and that is a form of engagement and connection with the museum that kind of is Priceless, really. Uh, so there is that always underpins everything that we do. But I think this was kind of planned, deliberate engagement with communities yeah. uh, offsite that, that, yeah, that we hadn't done before. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. it's really interesting. So were you there all the way through that? Yeah. And 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 what? How did that then transition into the next thing? Uh,
1: so, so as part of celebrating community heritage, I led that work. Um, and I then was promoted really uh, to head of community engagement. Um, yes, because until then we'd uh, been part of the learning team. This is casting my mind back a long time now. <laughs> so we had been part of the learning. So I suppose originally we must have been part of the collections team when we did the collections access project. Right. So then at some stage, which I can't remember, our line management must have transferred through to the learning team. And then i think when it was clear that community engagement was a kind of strong strand of work of its own then i was promoted to head of community engagement so then it became its own team
0: so what did that feel like what's that job look like
1: i absolutely loved it because it was like freedom we worked in the same way uh, and building those partnerships again with the learning team to deliver that project Um, and i think we had a great team i think that's probably what the difference was i think as well in recruiting your own team members um and i think we had such a good team at that point as well of people who were motivated and kind of we all kind of understood what we were delivering and and where it was going and there were a couple of new roles introduced then there was a community events officer as part of my team as well um and that was about legacy for engagement as well but how could we Take the people we were working with, maybe they would be interested in becoming volunteers, or how could we integrate them into other events that were happening on site? So, for a long time, we did a kind of um, I can't remember what it was called but it was like a mini miners gala where we would work with lots of coal mining or former coal mining communities to bring their banners in um, and parade them around site but we would work with groups to kind of represent themselves in different ways and bring them in as well so we did some really lovely events off the back of that as well just as a way to kind of maintain those relationships with people and the other thing was to how we could integrate community groups and community voice into some of the existing events so the agricultural show so we had great links with the the some map making groups from around the region the quilters guild we set up a young quilters club with them here because they're all they're not entirely heritage skills but skills that have a heritage Uh, and i think the museum itself has a role to support them Um, but in doing so we can share that with this kind of huge audience that we have as well
0: so are you actively looking for more senior roles by this point or were these happy accidents that ha- I would
1: I would interpret them as happy accidents because <laughs> I th- in every job that I had I was always very happy yeah. uh, because the transitions had been quite quick I think between the roles that I was doing yeah. I'd kind of um, I grew with it, I suppose, if you like, yeah. um, and hadn't really thought about hierarchy or progression. It just happened quite naturally, which is extremely fortunate. I can see that now. Um, so I wasn't even really looking anywhere else because because it my it was role was here. evolving. Was all, yeah. yeah, and I was learning all the time and different challenges. I felt, it, yeah like I was flying, really.
0: Were any of those transitions tricky in terms of, OK, this is a new skill set that I need to be applying to this role? And you know, did you have to get any more training or were uh, you just kind of flying with it?
1: <laughs> uh, I think if I say it wasn't tricky, I'm probably um, not seeing, I think <laughs> if you'd ask other people. Uh, it didn't feel tricky at the time, but I also I took part in the MA Transformers programme. Okay. So the first... Uh, iteration of that uh, and it was about kind of change making in museums if you had a kind of idea for something that you wanted to implement and how would you go about doing that Uh, and again that was during the thinking phase of remaking Beamish and the idea that I took was one that I developed with one of my colleagues around how far can we push this idea of people making decisions about what is in the museum and this idea that could we open it up to say what building would you like to see yeah. and obviously it was a compromise to kind of narrow that down in certain ways but so I did this transformers program with the MAs and that was really great actually that was um, uh, I met loads of great people doing really interesting things and um, just kind of pushes you to another level of thinking about how you might be it, it, Beamish is, is a very comfortable place to be uh, and I think it's clear to me after the pandemic and kind of not meeting in the same way with people for quite some time that actually you need that or maybe not everybody does but i need that kind of um external viewpoint i think because right. to he- it's quite
0: a big organization isn't it Bing it is and, and i, I think f- sometimes with those really big organizations you look for solutions internally and yeah, seeing what yeah. other people are doing can be yeah. really exciting and
1: really exciting and just a reminder actually to step your game up a little bit because i think it's you think, oh, I've been doing this, I'm on top of it, I'm all over it, we're doing great, all the rest of it. And then you go somewhere else and you think, oh my goodness gracious me, we need to pull our socks <laughs> up a bit. But I need that and and it's important to me and I think, because um, I always want to do what we do, kind of to be the best thing that we yeah. can be doing. And, and I think it's all right and it's healthy to have an awareness that it's not and that we're a bit behind the curve on some things. But... You've got to be aware of that in order to do something about it.
0: You don't know what you don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just, not that you you want it to be stress-inducing, but you want that little bit of pressure to know that actually you need to do better and you're thinking around this needs to be better. And I, uh, I think... Sometimes it's that kind of bringing others along with you to realise and recognise that is yeah. is the biggest challenge, actually.
0: And were you with a cohort of other yeah, professionals? Yeah, you were.
1: Yeah. So you developed your kind of project ideas. So there was some kind of, um, I can't remember what it's called, Do you know where you answer the questions and they tell you what kind of leader you are?
0: Oh, like Myers-Briggs. That's exactly what it area. was.
1: So we did that. But then there was input from various other professionals about kind of how to make a persuasive case for things. How are you bringing other people along with you? Yeah. Uh, how are you talking about this within the other organization? Who which, who are the stakeholders? I mean, it's probably pretty standard, I imagine. But it was exciting to be part of that group uh, with some interesting people yeah. who, who were doing interesting things. Just again, about kind of raising your game a little bit. I uh, was part of a really great programme, actually, um, which has actually influenced me a lot. It was an EU-funded project between open-air museums right. uh, through Erasmus+, Plus, uh, and that's with other open-air museums in Europe, so... Oh, but that was great. Oh, uh, it was amazing, Did actually. You get to go visit places. Yeah. Far. Oh, that sounds brilliant. I can't believe I'd, I've, I have... I suppose... Maybe it sounds like I've taken it for granted, which is not good, but, yeah, we went on loads of visits, so Den B, um, Jamtli in Sweden. Uh, where else did we go? I can't even remember. I can't remember. Lillehammer in Norway. I can't remember the name of the museum. Maihaugen. That sounds Terrible
0: really good. pronunciation.
1: Yeah, actually it well, was get, amazing. Getting out
0: there is really yeah. game changing. to see how yeah, other, other places, places are doing. it is.
1: Oh, uh, it was.
0: And was it like knowledge exchange stuff where you were talking to other professionals yeah. from there as well as visiting? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like the focus was on kind of working with older adults. That's what the kind of aim of the project was. Um, but I think we got so much more out of it than that, and we could take actually some other members of staff and volunteers with us. Um, so it was great to go with other people from the organisation, because it's one thing going and thinking this is great, I've got to tell everyone about it, but when yeah. other people are there, it just makes it a bit easier, doesn't it, yeah, to yeah. share what is, you've learned. But yeah, actually that, that's been superb, and again, making those international connect- connections as well, but just seeing how other people do stuff, and then bringing that back here, um, is great.
0: So do you still have connections with those? I mean, yeah. I, I would imagine in this kind of work that that's probably quite important to keep an eye on what the other open air, because it it's a, it's a distinct thing within itself in Tis. the museum world. It
1: is, yeah. We are part of the Association of European Open Air Museums, um, and we are members of that. I'm a fellow of that fine organisation. <laughs> Um, Yeah, and we keep in quite close contact with them, actually. Uh, I went to the last conference uh, in Skansen in Sweden, which is like the granddaddy of all open air museums. Uh, So, yeah, that is really useful, actually. Uh, And there's some really great thinking, particularly around engagement interpretation there um, that I think we've learned a lot or I have learned a lot from. my newest love, it, which I haven't been to actually, is uh, the National Open Air Museum in Holland, oh, right. in Arnhem. So, uh, they, uh, I met them at a conference and they were telling me about a kind of plan, which I cannot get away from calling the Stippen plan, that's what they call it, it right. dot plan in English, uh, which they've implemented in their museum as a review of all the spaces on site according to the criteria of what they want them to, to achieve Uh, and then they've mapped it all and that is their blueprint for how they're developing their spaces where they're putting their resources where they might need to fundraise where they need to kind of do make radical change or just leave it alone Uh, and we are going to implement a similar type of plan I think so yeah I think that uh, network is invaluable to us because it's great talking to colleagues in the UK who are not in open air museums there's lots to learn there but I think it is just a little bit easier when it's another open air museum because the challenges are so similar,
0: yeah, what happened after you'd done the the management position that particular yeah management I, the position?
1: head off role so I think we had demonstrated through what we were doing in terms of we engaged schools and communities off site and then brought it back as a kind of event if you like here so we we did some um I, we did a project around the silks with evictions uh, where the miners were evicted from their cottages and we kind of recreated that on site wow. um, but also brought in the communities and the schools and demonstrated and showed their work that they'd created as part of this activity Um so I think and we did several things around different stories like that and showed how we could animate the site how we were thinking about how these stories could re- be represented in the buildings that we had and I think um, it Demonstrated a way that we could engage with visitors, that and a, a kind of creation of an event that perhaps we hadn't been doing to that extent. So then I was offered another opportunity, which was to look after the engagement across the site, but that included kind of community engagement, still um, events as part of that, and then what we did on a daily basis on site. Um, so it was another kind of step up, if you like.
0: Um, so with the, with events, does that include? kind of some of the more commercial stuff that's a necessity for the museum as well.
1: Yeah, Christmas. So Christmas, yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I don't do that anymore, I should say, but right. that's the opportunity that I, I moved on to. Um,
0: so that's got to be quite logistics of managing the Christmas offer. Yeah, massive. It's, it's, it's yeah. a really big thing. I would
1: say it? one of my greatest achievements at Beamish was uh, making sure that you could buy your uh, grotto tickets at the entrance and that, for timed ticket slots oh, right. yeah, yeah, to alleviate yeah. the queue in for yeah. Father Christmas, because uh, that was just a major, major, major headache for us. You see, so. so
0: does that start in kind of November and then go all the way through Christmas? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. It starts so it's kind like of month long. Yeah, extravaganza of Christmas. Yeah, and yeah. then do
0: you have to staff up for all of that? Yes. And bring loads of extra people in?
1: Yeah, we do generally. Um, yeah.
0: So you did that for a while.
1: Mm-hmm. About three years I did that for, and okay. then I went on maternity leave. Right. Um, so,
0: yeah. You, you, maternity leave, did that kind of interrupt things?
1: Um,
0: Was that is that a difficult thing to do and then come back from?
1: The level of work that I did before I had children isn't possible or isn't compatible with a kind of yeah. balanced life with children, is what I would say. Right. Um, and I, when I came back, I asked if I could come back part-time. Okay. Uh, And I think the feeling was that the job that I'd done prior to maternity wasn't something that you could do part-time. And I think at the time, I felt a little bit like... So instead of doing that job when I came back, I uh, focused solely on remaking Beamish and the delivery of the activity plan associated with that. But that then morphed into oversight over the whole project.
0: (laughs) So did that part-time just become... Full time? No, well, version. I'm still
1: part time, <laughs> I, but I do four. I came back on three days, right? Uh, but I do just a bit over four now. Um,
0: and that's the role that you're doing, or a version of the role that you're doing that's now. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah.
0: how long have you been doing this? This one for now? Uh, probably
1: getting up for three years, I would say. Right.
0: Yeah. And what does the future look like then for for the? If you're coming, are you coming towards the end of the? Yeah. This,
1: this, so, I was assistant director for collections and engagement, which covers collections and remaking Beamish and the engagement stuff that we do. Um, so, I'm director of collections, programs, and interpretation. Um, so, collections, there's no change there, that's kind of as you'd expect. Yep. Um, programs is the kind of learning is the health and well-being program that we run Um, I also look after sustainability as well so programs like that and interpretation and that is the stories that we tell within the buildings and I think that's because um, we recognize that we need to be more inclusive in the stories that we tell and through remaking bit well, just over the years really I think I probably have taken the lead on kind of pushing that and I think I would say to be honest we haven't done as well as we might have done up until this point and for lots of different reasons and I think moving forward from this point we need to be much clearer about what we're doing and and show some clear results on site because I think we could we can talk about it behind the scenes as much as you like but actually if there's no visible change for visitors coming in well then we haven't really succeeded I don't think so it's clear in my mind that that is a real kind of
0: focus Sometimes forward. it does take a bit of time to get a culture change before the, the, the results are visible
1: Yeah, I think that's entirely right and I think as well the way that we know we want to work is with people and that can take time as well and then uh, we, we've got lots of members of staff, lots of volunteers to kind of bring along with us as well. So nice. we've done some really great work with Durham University, I would say, um, kind of behind the scenes and thinking, and thinking about it and asking questions of ourselves, which has been really helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think in my mind there is a plan for moving forward, which I need to write down and um, I would hope some roles to be recruited for as well. Um, but yeah, I think a kind of reflection on the collections that we have to date kind of a bit of reinterpretation of some of those possibly with people from various communities I think some, some more collecting possibly um, to be a bit more representative right. uh, and then how that translates into kind of the stories that we're telling within the museum yeah. I think there is some of that already it's possibly a bit hidden and I think this all ties in with this our version of the Stiffen plan and how we <laughs> put that into practice uh, and this all has to feed into that so that we have a, a coherent plan for how we move forward.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that brings us up to to, the, to today, I think.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah.
0: But thank you very much for your time. No it's problem. absolutely fascinating to hear that journey from, because loads of this isn't always visible. You know, I've known you for a long time, but loads of these little kind of bits I didn't know about. Yeah, kind of no. Away it, in there.
1: Yeah, it's been great. I think probably my it's all merged into one. <laughs> I think I've been very lucky, though, uh, having stayed in one organisation for such a long time. Uh, and I think that does enable you to build up a kind of confidence in the way that you work in, actually, yeah. and an understanding of, of, of a place. I mean, it's not always good for people to hang around for a long time, I don't think, but I think...
0: Uh, I, th- I think it depends whether you feel like an organisation can change and whether it's it's got that kind of mobility within it mm. so if an organization can be flexible and respond quite well it's quite easy to stay for a long yeah. time yeah well yeah and you can drive change
1: yeah and i think that's made a difference for yeah me. yeah
0: but thank you very much thank for you your time. Thank, thank you, you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.